we just jump in? Father, thank you. Thank you so much for being here, being present in just one of the many ways that your faithful presence is revealed in the earth. You are revealed when your people come together and they gather around your table and they gather before your ark, God, to worship you and to respond to you. And we sense the activity and the movement of your spirit, Lord, here in this place and amongst us as a people, not just on a Sunday, Lord, uh, every day and every moment throughout the week. And for that, we're deeply grateful. Lord, thank you that we can come together as Christians, as followers of Jesus who call upon the name of God as a people. And we can have the great assurance that you are forming us into the image of Jesus to reveal your faithful presence and to bring your kingdom to this world. We ask today that you would breathe on the words that are spoken, that you would open ears, that you would open hearts and minds to hear and receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you are new with us this morning, I want to greet you and welcome you. My name's Jay Duncan, and my wife, Christy, and I have the pleasure and the privilege of leading this incredible group of people that for the past three years uh, has been called Antioch Church. Uh, we actually have a probably a 20-plus year uh, history, and we've been named a lot of different things, Freedom Church and then Springs Harvest Fellowship. But three years ago, we felt under the direction of the Lord to uh, change the name of the church to reflect our identity. And uh, I'm gonna be pulling this out and sharing this with you guys here in the next few weeks. But I actually went back and listened to Cindy Jacobs' prophetic word that she spoke over this house the week before we changed our name. And it is wild. It is awesome. And it's really, really fascinating how much of what she spoke and really what a lot of prophetic voices have been speaking into the house the past three years, how much we're actually walking in. It's really, really excited. So I'll pull some of those things out and dust them off and, and um, we'll wrap our heads and hearts around those to be faithful to the words that Jesus has spoken to this body of people. We want you to feel welcome here. We're so glad that you're here with us. We are actually uh, last week and probably the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the state of this house. So if you are with us uh, for the first time, we don't want you to feel like an outsider, but we're going to be talking about some family issues. We're going to be talking about some of the things that we perceive that God is doing amongst us as a people and uh, where he has had us the past two years and perhaps even more prominently the past six months and how that's gonna affect uh, where we're going into our future. So last week, I'll just give a very, very quick review. Last week, um, we began with three metaphors or three themes, three biblical pictures of uh, what it looks like to be on pilgrimage with Jesus. And uh, those pictures and those themes were designed to help give some type of shape to where we are currently as a people and honestly where we will always be. So the first of those pictures was the picture of a pilgrim. And we find that at a Genesis chapter 12 when God shows up to Abram and he commands or he invites Abram to follow him. And then Abram goes on this journey as a sojourner and as a pilgrim of following the Lord and into a place of promise and experiencing a lot of uncertainty and a lot of adventure and a lot of risk 
through that process, none of which God specifically delineated for him. This is exactly what you're going to experience in the process. But the life of faith is not a life of certainty. A life of faith is a life of mystery. A life of faith is a life of grabbing a hold of God and the, and the reality of his character and the faithfulness of his character and his promises in the midst of that mystery. So we don't have to be afraid of that. We can have great, we can have great security in venturing out in the life of faith into that uncertainty because our security is not in what we know, our security is in who God is and what he has revealed to us about himself. The second picture was very simply the picture of following Jesus. And we talked about in Matthew chapter four, when Jesus finds these guys, he's calling them to follow him into his ministry. And I was reminded just this past week of that scene where Jesus is actually walking on physical water. It is a bona fide miracle. And one of Jesus's 12 students, one of his followers is seeing Jesus. And at first they're all, they're just wigging out. Like this has got to be a ghost. This is impossible. And then he realizes, no, this is Jesus. And then there was something inside of him that was compelled to say, Jesus, if this is you, if this is really you, then invite me to join you in that place of wild uncertainty, walking on water. And Jesus does. He says, come on, come on, come with me. And, f- and for a moment, Peter can be known as the only disciple that defied gravity and walked on water because he stepped out of the boat of certainty and he followed Jesus. And then he got distracted. Scripture says he saw the waves come in, he saw the winds and he freaked out and then he sank and Jesus rescued him. And, uh, and Jesus is doing that to us. For all of you who feel like you're sinking, Jesus is here, he's near and he will rescue you. Number three, uh, we talked about the picture of the temple of the Lord and how the scripture says that each one of us is like a stone that is being crafted and placed into a greater configuration, into a greater people. And one of the things, if you've been with us here the past year, you'll notice that we are using the phrase the people of God a lot more than we have before. You'll even notice this morning as we were talking about the reality of salvation, that salvation is more than just a privatized relationship with God. It's more than just a spiritual experience and it's more than just a ticket to heaven. Salvation is about belonging to the people of God by virtue of the work of Christ in the cross and in the resurrection. Now he wants an individual relationship with every single one of us, just like I want an individual relationship with each of my children, but they belong to something greater than themselves. They belong to a family and that family belongs to a greater family and that family belongs to a greater family. Uh, We also talked about some of the changes that we've been experiencing over the past year and I outlined some of those just briefly and talked a little bit about why those changes were made. And then we talked about the clarity in the midst of the uncertainty, which today's talk and the next few weeks are designed to continue to bring some clarity in the midst of the uncertainty. Some of the things that we mentioned to bring clarity to, number one, we are not abandoning our Pentecostal charismatic prophetic history. 
We're not abandoning our charismatic apostolic prophetic DNA. We are examining it. We are examining uh, the stream that God has sovereignly planted us in. You know, when I came here, I was planted into a redemptive history. I was planted into an expression of faith that I really didn't know much about. I I was planted uh, into a ministry led by a national figure, Dutch Sheets, well-known author, leader of the prayer movement in many regards, prophetic voice to this nation. And, And we got a crash course. We got pushed into the deep end of what it meant to be in an apostolic and prophetic intercessory deliverance spiritual warfare church. That, that, that was not my strand of the charismatic world. And so the learning curve was high, it was high. And, and we quickly got introduced to people like Cindy Jacobs and Lou Engle and Don Crum and Becca Greenwood and Peter Wagner and Chuck Pierce and Lance Wallnow and Jim Gall. I mean, just a whole new world we didn't even know existed, guys. We just did not know this world existed. We believed that you could hear from God, but there was just, this was another element. This was another dimension, another dynamic. And Initially, we found ourselves, or I would speak for myself, Chrissy's like, don't you be wrapping me into this? <laughs> I found myself being a little like, I don't, this is weird. I don't understand this. Uh, the flags and the banners and the shofars and the screaming like a lion in the microphone and just, you know, I just don't, this is, this, this is not familiar to me. And then I became one of those guys. And, and we, we were very much following Andy Stanley and Hillsong and Bill Hybels, as well as a lot of your mainline word of faith charismatic guys. I mean, that was just what we were exposed to at that time. So those are the guys that we were listening to. And um, we just decided, I had a pretty poignant conversation with, with Dutch one day and, and I had an offer to come work at a church. It was a mega church in California with a guy that I looked up to uh, probably at that time, at least for 12 years. I, it was my dream to go serve this guy and work for him. And he brought us out. We did the whole thing, interviewed, preached at the church, and, and they were building a thousand-seat youth auditorium. And he's like, Jade, man, you're a son of the house, and we want you guys to come be here. So I went and I talked with Dutch. I said, Dutch, I've got this op- opportunity. I'd like to talk about it with you. I'd like to pray it out. And then he said something. He said, Jade, you just have to figure out who your tribe is. And that just kind of left me, it was an invitation to pursue, it was an invitation to pray, it was an invitation to ask some deep questions and go, well, who is our tribe? I'm not, I'm not sure, quite sure. And um, so we prayed and we felt in our hearts that the Lord did not give us a release to go out, but we were to identify with this tribe. And we did, and we still do. We identified, we went, we went to those prophetic prayer gatherings. We, do, we dove in, we read the books, we went to the conferences, we prayed the prayers, we waved the flags, we screamed like lions, we did, we did it all. And, uh, and I'm not against any of that. I'm still, Lord, you lead me to do that, I'll be the first in line, you bring it on. I'm like, there's, there is a dynamic of God and the kingdom uh, that that is beautiful and it's powerful, but it's not all. It's, it's, it's not all of the kingdom, but it is an incredible part of the kingdom. Um, so we are not abandoning that. Um, 
over the past year to year and a half, we became a little more conscious of things within this stream that were a little, we just, the things that we just became a little concerned about. And so we, we found ourselves inadvertently uh, becoming a little critical and maybe even a little jaded. And after being uh, upfront and center in this for 13 years, you begin, you begin to become privy to some of the errors and imbalances. So not all of it, but, but some. And, and then again, without realizing it, I think, uh, I think a little bit of criticism seeped into our spirits. And so Christy wisely said, you need to talk to, you need to talk to Apostle Dennis. You need to talk to one of your spiritual fathers in the Lord. He's been through this. And so we did, we sat down, we had an opportunity to sit down with Apostle Dennis and Jan in July. And we just said, hey, we just need your help. We know that the uh, apostolic prophetic arm of the church is still something that you very much love, bless, celebrate, and identify with. And yet you have the ability to walk in and out of all the, the streams in the body. And how do you do that? And how have you seen all of the imbalances and not just written this group of people off? And he told us a really fascinating story. And then he gave us something that we felt like was a real prophetic word for us. He said, Jade, when Jan and I got married, sorry, this is gonna be very, very narrative driven today. He said, when Jan and I got married, we were, and when we got saved, we were liberal intellectuals that were studying at Berkeley in the 60s. We were justice-driven civil rights activists and, and we had nothing to do with Christianity. And then God sovereignly and powerfully saved us. And he did it through the work of his spirit. And when he did, he planted us right in the middle of a Pentecostal group of people. I mean, tongue talking, shouting, running around the whole night. He goes, that was the family we were birthed in. Starting from 1906, the Pentecostal movement, they were not the intellectual educated thinkers within the larger scope of the body. All they, most of them were impoverished. Most of them grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Most of them were backwoods, but the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you think about it, if you think about it, they were not so intellectual that they could actually believe in the power of God. And so God came and he showed up powerfully, healing, signs, wonders, miracles, deliverance, baptism, the Holy Spirit, fire, awakening, revivals. By and large, that didn't really come through a lot of our mainline denominations that came from backwoods people that just had enough simplicity of faith to believe that God could do what he said he wanted to do. And boom, it happened. And so he said, we realized pretty soon this wasn't the, the, the educated elite within the larger body as they began to become exposed to more aspects of the body. And then he said this, he says, but we realized this is the part of the body and the family that God planted us in. And then he turned to us and he says, so you have to ask yourself, who did God birth you in? Who did God plant you in? And you don't turn your back on your family. And wow, that, that just, it was a prophetic alignment like no other, you guys. And, and he said, I'm okay, Jade, with you questioning. He says, it's good. I want you to question everything. He says, but I want you to question with the right heart. Question from the right posture. 
And if I were to be honest with you guys up until that point, we weren't always questioning with the right heart. We weren't always examining and evaluating with the right posture. And I will say from that conversation, the Lord really did a, it's the power of a father's loving and yet firm rebuke because it snapped us into check and something changed in our heart. And we realized God has called us to this people. And he's called us to this people, not that we're the only ones to do this work, but we believe that God has called us to this people because God is dreaming of something for the charismatic, Pentecostal, apostolic, prophetic, intercessory, warfare, deliverance group of the body that he, he wants to speak into. He wants to take to the next level of growth and maturity. And he also wants to marry to the larger body in a place of relevance and credence. And we said, God, we're in. We just feel like God, we're in on that. Uh, More clarity in the midst of certainty from last week. We are not affiliating with or becoming a mainline denomination or a Catholic or Orthodox church. We are seeking to understand more fully what it means to be a Christian church and and the entirety of what that means. And I love this verse in Acts 9, 26. It says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They were called Christians, Christ followers, followers. They were not called Catholics or Reformed or Orthodox. They were not called Pentecostal. They were not called Baptist. They were called Christians, followers of Jesus. And that happened at Antioch. And I just thought that that was fascinating. And I think there might even be some prophetic relevance to that. They were called Christians because of the eclectic and diverse nature that Antioch was. And we're going to have to, in our study of ecclesiology, which just means the biblical study of the church this year, we're going to have to go back and take a look at Antioch. In fact, Cindy's word, which was given the week before we changed our name, she talks about 12 characteristics of Antioch, all of which deal with ethnicity, diversity, multifaceted function, and it deals with living intention. And that's what Antioch was, and that's what Antioch is even today. And finally, I said, we're not becoming a man-centered, man-pleasing, seeker-sensitive church. Some people have said, are we just trying to cater to man? No, we're not trying to cater to man. In fact, as I've thought about our roots, and one of the greatest things that, that I personally pulled from having the incredible opportunity of serving Dutch is that Dutch and his prophetic mantle did not cater to the spirit of man-pleasing whatsoever. I mean, he very much was, if this is what God has called us to do, this is what I sense God has called us to do, we're gonna do it. He was, he was such a man of conviction and he followed what he felt was the prophetic directive of the Lord. And I felt like we inherited that. Uh, if the Lord says, scrap everything, we're scrapping everything. If he says, worship for two hours or 20 hours or 90 days or longer, we're gonna do what we feel like the Holy Spirit is doing within, within the sanctum of wise counsel in the scriptures. And we're not gonna be afraid of that. And, and I felt like seeing that and growing in that and following that built a little bit of fortitude in us even to pioneer the journey that we're on now. So um, let me share with you some recent revelations. And when I say recent, we're talking like this week recent. Um, well, one, one was not so recent. This was very helpful. This was, this was relatively recent in the past few weeks. You guys, you know, we've had a lot of questions along the lines of where is this all going and 
I have been on a personal journey for about the past two years, just devouring new material along with the scriptures that uh, I, I, some of which I just bypassed during my seminary years and some of which I just didn't know that was out there. Guys, I'm telling you, there are some gold mines of theological writings and theological thinkers, both old and current, that are, I'm telling you, gold, 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 gold in shaping and maturing our heart and our mind in following Christ. And I literally have been like a kid in a candy store this past year as the Lord has been just deepening my faith and my understanding of who God is. Part of why we're here today is because I didn't realize that stuff was seeping out of me. I didn't realize that the journey that I was on was actually affecting my was affecting us. Now there have been, and this is also part of this, there have been small changes that we have made like we honor the table of the Lord on a weekly basis because I have come to an understanding both biblically and theologically that this is a very important ordinance of the church. This is a very important practice. Do I believe that we can get saved through this? Or do I believe that this is what God uses to save his people? No, no, not at all. But do I believe that this is a place where God can encounter us and wants to encounter us? Absolutely, I do. Do I believe that it is something that God has established for his people to help define and identify us as a people of God? Yes. Do I believe there's incredible prophetic life in the table of the Lord? Yes, I do. And so we made the decision. I said, we're gonna start doing this on a regular basis. And I think I said this last week, some of the churches that I've grown up in, guys, we were good to honor the table of the Lord once a year, (laughs) once a year. And so um, I was just really naive. Let me put it that way. I was super naive in that some of the things that we would introduce that they would cause the ripples that they did. Uh, some of the adjustments that we made in our worship set list, some, some of the, and those are probably the two big ones, the table of the Lord, our worship set list, and kind of our personality and expression in worship. Some of those have had minor modifications, and I was very, very, very naive that they would send such alarming messages to the body. And... Um, now that I am aware that we are on a journey together, I can be much more conscious and much more sensitive, which leads me to my next point. Guys, I did not realize that in my zeal and in my excitement and even probably a little bit in my immaturity and in my pride, I did not realize that I was ostracizing and alienating and hurting people in my family, this family, because I didn't realize that that was happening. I didn't realize that um, the, the, the jokes and the jabs that I would make came off as, as mockery and ridicule to certain people um, in this house. And I become aware of that, and I am deeply repentant. I mean, I am, I am deeply, deeply, deeply sorry for that. If you are here and you identify with, with a group of people, particularly within, within the, the prophetic group or the intercessory group or within the group that is really pursuing a deep level of intimate encounter with Jesus and you felt that that 
has been made fun of or you felt that that has been uh, devalued or you felt that that has been mocked. I wanna say number one, that has never been my heart. But I also wanna say number two, that, um, that in my immaturity and in my ignorance and probably even in my arrogance that I've, I've made jokes and jabs and I've made statements um, that have hurt and that have ostracized you and I would never wanna do that to any person in my family. So please forgive me. I'm, I'm deeply sorry for that. Um, I've also, I've had a couple of people uh, ask some questions and they said, based on last week's talk, um, pastor, are you fully healed? And that's a, that's a gutsy question, but it's an honest question and it's one that I appreciate. And it's one that, that causes you to do some deeper level evaluation And I think all of us would like to think we're completely healed. But I think that if we were really honest, we should acknowledge that none of us are fully, fully healed until Jesus comes and we are like him as he is. And so I've gone back to the Lord and um, I've asked the Lord to heal anything in me, particularly in the six months that uh, undealt with offenses and wounds and hurts from the way that people have responded in this journey that uh, have been hurtful. And let's just, be, let's just be really honest. I'm not gonna go into a sob story here, but, but it can be hurtful, guys. It can be hurtful when you give and when you love and when you invest and when you spend time and when you sit across the table and when you disciple and when you baptize people and you walk them through pain and difficulty in their lives. And then when a slight disagreement comes and people leave with no conversation, that is painful. And I'm not gonna say that I've always dealt with that pain the right way, but I've got great friends who know how to help me walk through that. And Jim, I'm gonna be giving you a call (laughs) because I don't want that in me. I don't want a trace of that in me. And you don't want a trace of that in me. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So those have been some recent revelations. In the pilgrimage of following Jesus and becoming a spiritual stone. And guys, you're just gonna have to put up with me here for a while because as I realize these things, I'm I'm just committed to bearing my heart and showing you this stuff and growing together. So if you don't want that, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say there. Uh, thanks a lot. So, um, all right. Listen, along the lines of realizing that, that now that we are in journey, I've also decided that we need to increase our communication. And so uh, on a minimum of once a month, um, probably on a Sunday afternoon after service, I'm gonna go down there and mod queue and I'm a pack of lunch. And if you wanna join me, you can join me and you can ask any question that you want. And I won't have all the answers. I may not have any answer at all, but you can join me and you can say, why do we do this? And why don't we no longer do this? And what about this? And you can ask whatever question that you wanna ask me. And uh, I'm gonna work to have some of our elders and staff members and life group leaders there present with me as well. And we can just facilitate more ongoing communication as as far as this is concerned. 
So I appreciate I, this past week has been awesome because I've had a number of people that have said, okay, hey, can I meet with you? And can I ask you like more like where this is going? So I'm gonna ask two things. Number one, we're gonna take about four weeks and I'm gonna just talk like I'm doing last week and today in the next couple of weeks. As well as I'm gonna facilitate some times in Mod Q where we can all just get together and just have very informal, relational, organic conversation. And then if you feel like you still need a personal one-on-one meeting, it's not because I don't wanna meet with you one-on-one. It's just that in the midst of my duties, then adding 20 more one and a half hour meetings to two hour meetings, I'm getting a little jammed up and I don't want you to feel like I'm putting any of you off. So if it is highly urgent, keeping in mind that we all think that our desires are highly urgent, just, just give, us, give us some time here. All right. Um, Along, along the lines of just some more personal story, I think this might be helpful to catch us up to speed. And then I'm gonna give a couple of uh, thoughts on what opportunities are ahead of us and then um, set us up for what we're gonna be talking about next week. And I'll, I'll make this part brief. I've had some major milestones in my life. I've, I've preached messages and I'm sure you've heard messages where when Abraham was called by the Lord into that journey, Abraham created these altars. And those altars were places of encounter. They were significant encounters with God that marked him and shaped him along the journey. And we've all had those. And in fact, when God dealt with the people of Israel, he would actually help them to create those altars, the memorials, milestones. Um, Don't forget when your children see these pillars and they ask you questions, use that as a prophetic picture to tell them the story. And as you tell them the story, their heart will be shaped towards God. So uh, I've had a number of milestones and I think there's some important lessons in these milestones that might be relevant to some, if not all of us. The first milestone is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I got baptized um, by the Holy Spirit and there's probably better language and terminology to use there because uh, it is a definitive encounter and experience with God, but it is also an ongoing encounter and experience with God. And, uh, but my particular baptism experience happened when I was a sophomore. Now I've, sh- I've shared this story before when I've preached particularly on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I, I was in an assembly of God youth camp and I tarried for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It didn't happen and I got, I got upset. And I was like, well, if that's how you're gonna be, forget it. I don't want that stupid thing anyways, you know, in my seventh grade maturity. Don't get offended by that. He's not stupid. I was, I was stupid. That's why I said that. Though when I was a sophomore, um, there was a traveling evangelist that came into town and my mom was there with me. She actually made me go and I, she made me literally. And um, so I went, folded arms the whole time. She went up to the front for an altar call and healing. She turned around when he gave an altar call for the baptism of the spirit. And she told me to come to the front. And I said, no way. Just like that, folded arms. And so long story short, there was a pastor there that was sitting there. His name was Bishop Holcomb. He turned around, he said, son, I just felt like this is gonna be really important for your calling. And I was like, yes, sir. So I walked up and guys, I was like from me to Christy and this traveling evangelist pointed his hand at me and man, I was speaking a language that I knew not. And I have been praying in the Holy Ghost ever since. And I cannot imagine life without the Holy Spirit, without that dimension of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Funny enough, I felt... I felt the word of the Lord to me this week, and it actually reminded me of a conversation I had with a friend of mine. 
And I felt the word of the Lord to me was in the midst of an increase of study that the increase of prayer and worship and devotion and praying in the spirit must increase in a parallel intensity. And I remember I had this conversation with a friend of mine who pastors um, a church and probably about seven years ago, he was really digging into uh, some reformed theology and really being shaped and transformed by it. And I came and I just preached this fiery revival, passionate message about prayer. And, and he, says, he said, how, how do I do this? How do I maintain this passionate fire and yet also this astuteness and soundness of, of theology? I said, when you read, pray in the Holy Ghost. I said, you read, read it, read it all, man. Read those theological works, but man, you take time and you pull away and you just pray in the Holy Ghost. That's all I knew. And I felt like the Holy Spirit reminded me of that. And so I just wanna say for us, yeah, we're gonna dive in. We're gonna dig in. We're gonna look at church history. We're gonna study our ecclesiology. We're gonna, we're gonna understand our Christology better, our pneumatology, all those big fancy words. But we're gonna, we are also going to dive in with our hearts saturated with the life and the fullness of the power of the spirit of God. We are not gonna choose an either or. We're not gonna settle for an either or in God. Not when he's offering it all to us, you guys. Uh, the second, I think, is one that you guys are all aware of, but for those of you who don't, uh, in the summer of 96, I went to Indonesia for two months. And I went, um, backing up, my fall semester uh, as an ORU student in 1995, um, my friends around me were saying, Jade, you would be awesome on the mission field. You need to go. And I was just vehement. I was, I was actually stubborn. There's a, there's, a, there's a better word here. Dan, what's a better word for stubborn? Like just... No, it's obstinate. Yes, I was obstinate. I was obstinate. And then God spoke to me and he said, son, go. And I went and God changed my life, literally. And now you can't get around me or you can't hear a message. In fact, Matt Copper and I were hanging out last week and he says, you speak differently when you talk about missions. It's because God put something so deep in my bones. But listen, guys, imagine Imagine if I stayed in my ignorance and in my arrogance. Imagine if I just dug my heels in even deeper and said, nope, God has only called us to, I mean, just whatever, all the ridiculous arguments that are out there and I've heard them all and I've, and, but imagine, imagine if I did that. Imagine if I didn't stay supple and teachable and responsive to the Lord, who would I be? I wouldn't have married Christy. I wouldn't have maimed my kids the way that I did. Think about the, the missions history that we've experienced here in this house just in 12 years. I wouldn't see the world. I, all of my Christianity would be insufficient if I would have remained dogmatic on that issue, you guys. I'm, I'm kind of setting you up here. Um, another theological milestone in my life happened in 2008 when God revealed the spirit of sonship to me. I cut my teeth on leadership books. In some ways, I kind of there were times in my journey that I, I wished I would have pursued an MBA and got my business degree because I, I, I love organizational leadership. I just love it, love it, love it. I mean, read every John Maxwell book. I teach leadership. Read every Lencioni book. Every you name all the business thinkers out there. I read them. I loved them. They just spoke to something deep inside of me. And in 2008, God said, "Don't read another leadership book." And then I discovered these mystic thinkers like Henry Nouwen. I read a book called The Way of the Heart. And it just, it was almost like the way of the heart was the penetration of the surgeon's knife. And that book led me to a book called Abba's Child by a guy named Brennan Manning, 
which led me to another book called Ruthless Trust, which led me to the wisdom of tenderness, which led me to the signature of Jesus, which led me to from slavery to sonship. And in, in 2008, all God did was lead me to these, these mystic Christian thinkers who were so focused on spiritual formation and being formed by the love of God. And what I realized was that a lot of what was coming out of me in Christendom, a lot of my gifts, a lot of my leadership love, and I understand now why God said, don't touch another leadership book, because I was leading as an orphan. I was not leading as a son. I was preaching as an orphan. I was preaching for what it did for me, for who it attract to me. I was doing most of what I was doing in my marriage And this happened literally nine months after our first child was born. And I thank God for it because the spirit of sonship and the message of sonship, as many of you know, has changed everything, everything. I could not be on the theological journey that I'm on right now without the spirit of sonship because I would turn into one of those guys that I hated in college arrogant, ignorant, young, cocky kids who thought they knew everything about the infinite greatness of God. They wanted nothing to do with it. But as a son, as a son, I can approach these things. As a son, I can say, I'm sorry that I said hurtful. Listen, orphans don't do that. You don't want to be under a father who's not first a son. Because if the spirit of sonship is not operating in the father that you're following, you're gonna get chewed up and cut up and beat up and run out whenever you disagree with him. Orphans can't have face-to-face conversations with people and them say, are you fully healed? It can't happen. So the spirit of sonship was a major milestone. And listen, it was a full one-year introduction and it has been God adding to it every year since. That's important for us to remember. So I want you to see that these major milestones, they happen in the midst of me being so obstinate. And so you guys are like, gosh, do you really have a relationship with Jesus? Who is this guy we're serving? No, just so arrogant, so cocky, so egotistical. And yet God in his infinite mercy and goodness visits me and changes a paradigm. In the middle of this, I'm gonna be super, super vulnerable with you guys. I'm just gonna be just stupid honest with you. This has even brought some tension between my wife and I. Not anymore. You guys are like, <gasps> guys, listen, we weren't on the same page with this. I mean, just, I don't, I don't know why, maybe being the virtue, by virtue of being the guy who's got to be the whatever, I've got to experience it first. I don't know. I'm not going to try to figure all that out. I just know that we weren't in sync. And so I gave her some brilliant counsel. I just, said, I just said, listen, this has become a conviction to me and you just gotta have that conviction too. And she was like, well, I don't. And then I went, I'm all out. I don't know what else to say. I'm telling you guys, listen, this hasn't been an easy road. Arguments, not like yelling and screaming, just like disagreement, tension, tension in the marriage. Tension in Jade, I don't understand. Why are, you, why are you doing this? Why do you have to do this? And so we, we got together, we got together and prayed. We got on our own and prayed. And this, this didn't just happen in a moment. This is, we're talking months, you guys. And then the Lord got a hold of my wife and he spoke some things to her. I'm not gonna tell you all the juicy details, but by and large, this is what the Lord said. He said, I've got my son exactly where I want him. 
I've got my son exactly where I want him. And here's what I determined. As long as I got this girl right here on board, I love you guys. But if she's not on board, I don't want, to, I don't want nothing to do with this. And as long as she's on board, it don't matter who's with me. We'll start all over if we need to because I've got, I've got my girl and we're in this thing. It has been heart-wrenching. It has been heart-wrenching, you guys. But we're in it. Why do I say all that? I just say all that to say, listen, um, this has been a major milestone in my life and, and I share these milestones for me because I said, babe, this is the only way I know how to explain this. This is, I felt like God is doing another missions and sonship milestone in me. That's, that's, the only, that's the only language I had. And she knew, she was like, whoa, okay, this is big because we're talking about things that have identified me. We're talking about things that have literally identified me in God. I said, I, all I can say is that I feel like God is doing something of that nature. And I think that's what just, when she realized how serious this was, it's not a fad, you guys. This is not some fad. I read an article two years ago and the article was why millennials are leaving evangelical and charismatic churches to go to high, to go to high church traditions. And I was like, this is stupid. This is so dumb. Seriously, come on. And I read this article and I was like, I guess, I, I don't know. And now I get it. Now I understand. We're talking about a generation that grew up with, guys, they grew up with the massive conferences. They grew up with the rock star concert leaders. They grew up with the smoke. They grew up with the lights. They grew up with the youth groups that had superficial Christianity. They grew up without, they grew up without deep anchors of the faith. And in a postmodern culture that is so consumer satiated and so hollow and so Facebook face driven, I think there is a generation that's grown up and they've said, there's something that's got to be deeper. There, there has to be something to this faith that is more anchored, that is more rooted, and it's more meaningful. It has to be. It has to go deeper than an experience. It has to be married with experience, but it has to rest on more than just experience, and particularly more than just a personal experience. And I went back and I read that article today because I just wanted, I wanted to see if I had different lens, and I get it now. I get it. I'm not saying that we're gonna become a high church. I just understand. I have empathy. I have understanding. And so where is this all going? Where is this taking us? Well, I think I've explained to you already. And I think that you can see from our services, we are still a spirit-led, spirit-driven, spirit-insatiated church of Jesus. Um, we are gonna make room for multiple expressions of your devotion and love to Jesus. We're gonna do our best to continue to disciple and guide us as a people into growing into maturity of what it means to be the church, which means that your preferred style or mode or expression is not always going to be accentuated. Now, it means it should be accentuated at times, but it, it doesn't mean that it will always be accentuated. 
Now I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna call on I'm gonna I'm gonna utilize my, my brother Sidron over here because Sidron and Tamara have said this in front of the family and, and we've all laughed and we've all joked. But Sidron came in here four years ago and he walked in and he was like, oh, I, don't, I don't want nothing to do with those white people. He didn't really say it like that. <laughs> but he was kind of like, I'm like the only black dude up in here. And by the sovereign move of the Lord and by an incredible wife, again, what he realized was if, if I do not commit, and I'm, I'm using my own words, how are we ever, ever gonna get more black folk in here if every black folk leave? Come on, right? Right? Christian and I were youth pastors and I remember, I'll never forget this. This mom came and she had, a, she had a senior high boy. And at that time, we just didn't have very many senior high boys. And she said, what are you guys doing? Why are there not more senior high boys in here? And we're like, hey, listen, we're doing the best we can, you know? And she's like, well, I just can't have my son in a place where there's not any more senior high boys. And I said, well, what if your son stayed? Then when the next senior high boy comes, now there's two and not just one. And she was just like, oh, whatever. It's kind of what she did. But I want you to, th- I mean, but in all seriousness here, and here's why I say this, because, you know, to some of our African-American brothers and sisters in here, they would love to have a lot more Fred Hammond, a lot more Yolanda Adams, more Israel Houghton. They would. More Hezekiah Walker. They would love that. They would love that. And we're not there yet. We're not there Yet, but can we be? I believe we can be. And they don't hate the worship. They love the word, but, but is it exactly their flavor? Is it exactly their flavor? No. I mean, you know, you got like the bland chicken that you get at King Supers, and then you got like churches and Popeyes, right? <laughs> Come on, it's still chicken. See, I'm only talking to a handful of folk. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You got, the, you got them nasty canned collard greens that people make, and then you got the real deal. You put your toe up in that thing, and you wash the greens, and you throw the smoked meat in there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I, I need some more black folk in my church, Lord. All right. I, y'all, y'all need to probably go get the table and get me off of here before I say something stupid and mess it all up again. <laughs> All right, what do y'all want to, okay, so here I got two more things I could say. I could talk about what opportunities are presenting themselves, or I could talk about, let me just, let me just say this. Here's some opportunities, and I'll probably start with this next week so I can just build on it more. Number one, guys, listen, we have an opportunity to experience God's faithful presence in the discipline of reconciliation. What do I mean by that? I've mean, I mean this, listen, listen, this, you can't miss this. If you don't have an honest conversation, you actually rob that person of the opportunity to change. And I get it. I get it. Because, you know, we probably had all these egotistical pastors and you probably tried having an honest conversation with them. You probably got shut down and burned and bruised and you might need to get healed. But listen, it can happen. And it is actually one of the disciplines of the church that invite the presence of God. It's called the spirit of reconciliation. This is the actual, this is the actual context when Jesus says when two or three are gathered, what did he say? He says, I'm all up in that. Didn't he, didn't he say that? 
He says, I'm there in your midst. When two or three, but you know what the context was? The context was reconciliation. So here's what Jesus is saying. When you have a disagreement and a conflict and a dispute and you find yourself at odds with your brother or your sister and you actually exercise the love and the courage to have a conversation and humble yourself, he says, I'm right there. That is one of the primary manners in which I manifest my spirit. Guys, that's an opportunity for us. And God does that. He shapes that in the context of the church so that your marriages look different and so the way you talk with your children look different and the way that you handle your employees and your employers look different and the way you deal with that vendor looks different. He teaches us this stuff in the context of the church. Do you you really think you're going to leave the thing that God set up and go practice the thing you're supposed to be mastering here and master it in the marketplace ministry? You really think that's gonna happen when you're not even willing to do it in the people of God that he's assigned you to? Did I cross the line there? Your family is your training ground. Don't run from the very thing that God's trying to use to help grow you and make you a more effective minister in your community. All right, that's just one of like, I got a list. list. That's just one though. But let's all stand up. And let's let's honor this table. Man, I heard something this week from a friend of mine. Let me just drop this nugget on you. He said, Jade, the table is not just a place where we look backwards. Let Let me hopefully reframe something for you. Because I think we just carry a past perspective on the table. He says, all of Christianity is actually lived in three time dimensions. We look, we look towards our past and we learn and we glean. We have a present encounter and a future anticipation. At this table, yes, we do remember the past work of Jesus. We remember that. But it's much more than that. It's also a future anticipation. Because the scripture says that when Jesus returns, which he will return, that there is going to be a feast and the fullness of the kingdom that we long for, the fullness of our healing, the fullness of our soundness, the fullness of being like Christ, when God makes every wrong thing right, will be when he pours that feast out before his people in his second arrival. But it's also a present encounter. When we taste, when we partake of the sacraments, it is a present encounter that reminds us of our past and it points us to our future. And I want to invite you to that today. To remember the goodness of God, to have a present now encounter and have a future anticipation for the fullness of God's kingdom coming to your life, but more importantly, to this world. So I'd like to release you to come to the table and allow these attendants to speak over you that this is the body of Christ, broken, blessed, and given to you. And this is the blood of Jesus shed for you. Come to the table.